Welcome to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizStocks, the podcast created to empower career-curious students and ambitious young professionals. Each week, I interview some of the most successful directors, top-level executives, and entrepreneurs in business to hear their experiences of success, failure, and lessons they've picked up along the way. I'm your host, Sean Wolf, and today we sit down with Adam Mindler. Adam Mindler is the CEO of Veloc Group, where he co-founded and currently operates Beverly Hills Chairs, Custom Tobacco, and Veloc Solutions. But those are just the winners. Adam and his team initially attempted to start over 10 companies at the same time. I asked Adam about the lessons learned during this period, and he has quite a bit to share about starting companies and leading. Adam has written a ton of articles for Forbes, Inc., Thrive, and many more publications on the subject of leadership. He speaks on leadership, and he even has a podcast of his own called 30-Minute Mentors. I'm excited to have him on the podcast today because Adam is a wealth of knowledge. You ready to kick this off, Adam? Absolutely. Excited to be here, Sean. When I was diving into you, I really find your company, Veloc, the business model is really interesting to me. You have several companies within kind of like the the group, the umbrella company. And I think that's kind of not as common. Most entrepreneurs have an idea and they dive into one business. Why did you and your team decide to start several companies rather than just one? The first thing that I hope I can make as clear as possible to you and to your listeners is when it comes to this, definitely do not follow in my footsteps. <laughs> if I had to do it all over again, it's one of the first things that I would do differently. So when we started the Velos Group, my brother and I were really first-time entrepreneurs in the sense that, you know, I had worked for really large companies. I worked for a big hedge fund. I worked for a big bank. I'd done some internships uh, in the entertainment industry, some internships in sports, but this was my real first taste of entrepreneurship. My brother had, you know, bought and sold things as a kid, but this was really his first experience starting a real company and, you know, doing it with me, me helping kind of taking some ideas and turning them into businesses. And what we did was we got together and sketched out all the different ideas we had. We had tons of different ideas. And we created a Google Doc with literally every idea we had. And we started pushing on them. We probably pushed on 10 different ideas in our first year. And it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was a tremendous uh, creative process. And I think back to those early years and have a lot of really, really fond memories. But after about a year and a half of burning through all of our money, because when you're running bootstrap businesses, the end of the day, you need to make money to keep the lights on. We realized that we had to really focus and we had to pick the businesses that were closest to monetization. So while we had all these different ideas that we had invested all this time and energy and resources in, we needed to focus on the ones that were actually closest to making money. So we picked the two that were closest, one being this office furniture concept, another being a cigar concept. Mm -hmm. And we pushed forward with them. We turned them into companies. Our third business, which is a software consulting company, was an offshoot of the first two. So I know it's a kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, but um, I, I try to really provide as much context as I can because I think from the outside looking in, 
it, it looks really cool and glamorous. Like, wow, who are these guys that have successfully created all these different businesses and all these different industries? But in reality, I think that entrepreneurs are much better suited focusing on their best idea, taking everything you have, picking your winner, going all in on it. And then if that goes great and you have other ideas that are, you know, sort of offshoots of it, awesome. But um, don't follow what we did. Learn from our mistakes. I think that's great advice. It sounds pretty wild to be starting 10 businesses at the same time. You know, I noticed you still have some businesses that are in development that you're getting ready to release that are new businesses in different industries. Now that you've learned not to go in so many directions at the same time, how are you currently vetting those ideas? Definitely anything that is in development, I always, adding a disclaimer, you know, take it with a grain of salt because everything is in development until it's developed. So to go from taking an idea and turning it into a business um, can be a pretty extensive process. And the kinds of things that I look for when determining whether to really make a push are first and foremost, is there a real business opportunity here? You know, is this a product or service that is truly resonant? Is there a clear and defined market? Who is our customer? Does the, is there a large customer segment that really wants this? So understanding who your potential customer is thoroughly, deeply, making sure that they actually want your product, um, understanding the competition. So how are you differentiated? Um, what, what sustainable competitive advantages do you have? But a big question that I always ask, and this is a question that I can tell you I've asked it many times internally, and it's a reason why we haven't pushed forward a lot of ideas, is I always ask, why us? Mm. why are we the ones who should be doing this? And I think it's really important to make sure that you're pushing on businesses that marry with your skill set and with your interests. And the idea could be good, but can you pull it off? And too often, entrepreneurs get really big eyes. And it's kind of like when you go to the buffet and you see all of this great food and you say, all right, I'll take a plate of this and a plate of that and a plate of this and a plate of that. And you go back to your table and you've got 12 plates and you start eating and you really only have room for one or two plates. And you have all this stuff left over. Well, it's not that big of a deal when it's an all you can eat buffet, but if you have to pay for each item that you order, you're sooner or later going to be bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's important for entrepreneurs to have big eyes because you obviously will never do anything unless you have the courage to act on ideas you have. But at the same time, I also think it's important to have restraint because not every idea is a winner. Most ideas are not winners. Mm -hmm. And you're not necessarily the entrepreneur capable of executing on every idea, even if that idea is a winner. Totally. Do you have a maybe a, a recent story or from the very beginning, a, a business idea that you were really excited about, but ultimately you had to have that real conversation with you and your team that it was the idea to let go? So I tend not to be the one that, that gets too jazzed up. So the way the dynamic works is my brother, who's my business partner on the Velos group and on 
the different businesses that we've built. Um, he's really the idea guy. Mm. He's the mad scientist. You know, Jordan is the kind of guy who, when he shows up to the office wearing a clean undershirt, it's a day that he's dressed up. <laughs> he tends to come in with idea after idea after idea. I tend to be the bad cop because I tend to be the one that asks the sobering questions. Mm. Are we really capable of doing this? Do we really have the time, the energy, the bandwidth? Uh, a big question for me is the time. Part of it is after our experience running in a hundred different directions in the early innings of the Velos group and almost getting wiped out because of it, I, I learned from that. And then one of the big lessons I learned was the importance of focus and the importance of not getting spread too thin. Mm -hmm. So when Jordan, my, my brother, comes in with all these huge ideas and not to denigrate him or to denigrate his ideas, I feel like it is important to maintain focus and to maintain discipline to ensure that we keep our eye on the ball and that we don't spread ourselves too thin. I like that dynamic of someone being uh, the idea generator and then another person, another partner being real and like filtering those ideas and keeping, keeping focus. Now that you have a few successful businesses under the Velos group, what have you learned as far as managing, you know, at least three companies at the same time? A big lesson is the importance of having good people around you. Mm. You know, you can't have three businesses and one CEO. It's impossible to be at two different places at once. So to really build any one business successfully, you need to have a really, really strong team around you. To build three businesses successfully, you need to prioritize recruiting, hiring, and managing great people. Mm. So if there's any one lesson that I can convey to your listeners about the importance of entrepreneurship, the importance of leadership, the importance of building, growing, and scaling a company, it's the importance of people. It's the importance of recognizing that as great as any one person may be, no one builds anything alone. No one does anything by themselves. The only way any of us can do anything is by having a great team working with us. And I can tell you for each one of my businesses, the, the only way that they really became businesses, you know, I was definitely helpful in getting the businesses to a certain level, mm -hmm. but to really get them to that point where it's like, okay, they're here now. Um, it, it required lots of people other than me, lots of people better than me in many ways. I think that was wonderful advice. Do you have any tips or lessons learned for actually finding good people? Yeah, uh, lots. It's actually a topic that I've written quite a bit about and love speaking about. I think a good place to start is making sure that you don't fall into some of the conventional traps. So I'm a big believer in prioritizing the kinds of things that tend to get overlooked and deprioritizing the kinds of things that companies tend to really value. So some examples, I think we tend to overvalue pedigree mm -hmm. um, with all due respect to the schools that I went to, which, which are you know highly ranked schools. I went to two of the top business schools in the country, two of the top universities in the country. Oh, yeah. 
my experience as an entrepreneur and as a leader has taught me that the school that you attended is not necessarily the best predictor of how well you're going to perform on the job. I think that much better predictors are how well you mesh within the company culture. I try to look really closely at the attitude of the person who I'm interviewing. Um, you know, I'm a huge college sports fan. Mm -hmm. I love college basketball. I love college football. Been a rough stretch as a USC football fan <laughs> over the last few years. Yeah. And I've hired kids from schools that I've never heard of. And I've heard of tons of schools because I'm a college sports fan. And so I don't even, I don't care where you went. What I do care about is, are you someone who is going to fit in well with our company? Because you could fit in well with another company, but fit in really poorly with our company. Are you someone who's going to excel in the specific job that you're being considered for? You could be great in another job, but what about this job? Are you someone who is going to do whatever is asked of you with a great attitude? Or are you someone that is going to cause problems and be um, you know, a detriment to company culture? Something that I talk about all the time, and I'm not the only one that talks about this, but when you work for a really big company, if you have a bad hire, if you have, and I've, I work for some massive companies, if you hire a person who fits really poorly into your company, who's a really bad fit for the company culture, that's obviously bad. And, you know, no one wants that. It's not a good thing, but the company can survive it. If you're a mid-sized company and you hire someone who's a bad fit, they're disruptive, it's problematic that problems are going to be more noticeable. But when you're a small business, when you're an early stage startup, every single person you hire is critical. Wow. And if you hire someone who is a problem, that's a problem for everyone. If you hire someone who's tremendous, that's going to be a blessing for the entire organization. So it's something that everyone needs to really focus on and needs to look past the traditional markers that we might be tempted to focus on. You know, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, the pedigree of a university doesn't really matter. Um, and I've personally experienced how important the right fit or the wrong fit can really impact a, a company at a, a smaller, mid-sized company. Um, and in a question that I've thought quite a bit about and some of my friends that own businesses, we've, we've had conversations about, which is culture. And you, you were touching on culture. Do you have any thoughts on fostering the right culture for each business? Yeah, I, I think that that's something that every entrepreneur should be thinking about. Every leader should be thinking about. I have lots of thoughts on culture. The, the way that I've always thought about culture is I've always tried to approach it from the perspective of what do I need to do to build a winning team where I will be able to attract the best people, keep them happy, keep them productive, and do it in a sustainable way. So I think it's I think when you talk about culture, you can't really look at, at it in a vacuum. You need to look at it holistically. And I've always tried to look at it from the perspective of the people that I want in, in my organization. Who do I want here? Who do I want to be a part of? Who do I want to be a part of this team? 
Um, what are my values? What do I care about? And who are the people that I want to surround myself with who share those values? So when you're building a company culture, you need to define core values. You need to define a mission statement. You need to um, do all of those kinds of basic you know, forms of blocking and tackling. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, and I, I know this is going to sound redundant, but it's incredibly important. And I hope your, your listeners really take it to heart. At the end of the day, the most important part of any company culture is the people who comprise that culture. So you could have the best mission statement. You could have the best core values written on a blackboard or you know written in an email. But at the end of the day, what really defines your company culture is the people on your team. And that starts with you as a leader. So you are your company culture, your people, every hire, literally every person in your organization is an extension of your company culture. So to your last question, if you make a bad hire, your company culture is now effed up. Mm -hmm. Maybe not catastrophically, but certainly enough to the point where you as a leader need to step in and try to fix it. I've had situations where I've hired an intern who it is such a such an awesome addition to the team that that intern will, in a sense, define our company culture. It will be such a. We, I wrote an article about this. Uh, we hired this guy named Buzz, and Buzz was just such a just his name, Buzz. Mm-hmm. We hire a guy named Buzz, and the guy defined our company culture. He was just an intern, but having a guy like that around, our employees loved him. The other interns loved him. And, um, you know, so I think about key people who we've had around over the years who have helped build the Velos group, not only in terms of, you know, selling products, refurbishing chairs, programming lines of code on our website, but also building the company culture. Wow. You know, you mentioned writing articles uh, and I noticed (laughs) you have a a ton of articles specifically on on leadership. and I just wanted to throw this question out to you. It's kind of an age-old question. Do you think leaders are born or made? I think it's a combination of the two. I think that every question is something or someone born or made yeah. is some kind of combination of the two, mm-hmm. nature or nurture. I'm a big believer that the answer is usually both. Mm-hmm. I think that in any context, we have skills that are going to be helpful to us and the more naturally talented we are, the more naturally gifted we are, the better head start we have. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is learned, a lot of it is polished, a lot of it is honed. And there are core principles of leadership that everyone needs to learn, everyone needs to develop. I think that truly great leaders are leaders who evolve and grow over time, are leaders who are able to learn and become, even if you're a great leader today, you can become a greater leader tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that you need to be born with a certain set of skills to be a great leader. I do think that a lot of great leadership can be learned. There's a reason why I dedicate so much of my time and energy to trying to teach people how to become better leaders, whether it's through my writing, through my speaking, or through my podcast, where I interview America's top leaders and really focus a lot on leadership. I believe that that 
much of it can be learned, but it definitely is helpful when you have certain skills to begin with. So I don't don't mean that as a dodge. Uh, I hope I didn't. No, yeah. I uh, I actually agree with you. Um, in my opinion, I think uh, with this question and a lot of questions, it's usually it's both. It's it's yes and yes. Um, I'm I'm also been thinking about this a lot, which is how does someone actually develop and discover their leadership skills? I'm a very big believer that before you can effectively lead others, you need to be able to lead your own life. Mm. Before you can lead a team, you need to be able to lead yourself. And the first step toward becoming a great leader is self-discovery. All great leaders are people who are truly comfortable in their own skin. I'm a very big believer that in life, most people are bad at most things. Take me, for example. I'm bad at so many things that, Sean, how much time do we have? I mean, we could probably fill up the next three hours just talking, maybe (laughs) even the next three days or three weeks talking about all the things that I'm bad at. (laughs) Me too. But yeah, exactly, right? I mean, we're all bad at, at so many things, at most things in life. Mm-hmm. I think we're good at a few things. And I think everyone has that one thing that they're exceptional at, that one thing that makes them special, that one thing that makes each and every one of us truly exceptional. It's our superpower. Mm. It's the thing that makes us unique. It's the thing that makes us different. And the more quickly you can figure out what it is about you that makes you special, what it is about you that makes you different, what it is about it is about you that makes you unique the more quickly you can untap your superpower, the more quickly you can get yourself on course to become a great leader. That's powerful. For you, what is, uh, what's your superpower? It's a question that I'm, I'm often asked. And uh, it's one that took me some time to truly understand. I don't think it's a necessarily an easy question mm-hmm. for people to answer right away. I, I don't expect your listeners who might be chewing over this question right now to immediately say, my superpower is this, or my superpower is that. I've given a lot of talks on this topic. And when I ask the audience and I'll ask people, you know, any volunteers, what is your superpower? I, I'm always, uh, I don't, don't know what the right word to use is, but, but I'm always, it's always interesting to me that most responses are not, it's not their superpower. People tend to, not necessarily go as deep as they have to. Mm. Uh, your superpower is not that you're good at soccer, unless you're Pele. You know, it's not that you're funny, unless you're Jay Leno. Right. I don't know. Do you, do you consider Jay Leno funny? Your your audience probably doesn't think Jay Leno. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I I grew up with grandparents, so it might be skewed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you say, Jimmy Fallon? Colbert. Uh, Colbert, for sure. He's definitely. I'm, I like Colbert oh, yeah. more than Jimmy Fallon. Yep. But um, my, my superpower, what I've discovered is I've always been really good at connecting with people and connecting with all kinds of people. A big part of it is that I love people. I genuinely enjoy building relationships with people. I enjoy getting to know people. I enjoy developing any form of contact with all kinds of people. So from the time I was a little kid until today, I've always embraced all kinds of human connection. And it's manifested itself in lots of different ways for me. 
in the course of my personal and professional lives. Most recently, it's manifested itself through my podcast. It's enabled me to leverage really my Rolodex and my ability to connect with lots of people to bring on all these great guests onto my podcast and share their wisdom with my audience. Mm -hmm. But for me, my superpower has been just that, the ability to connect. And whether that's connecting with a college student who is trying to find some sort of mentorship, or whether it's connecting with someone like one of my guests, who's one of America's most successful people, and trying to call information from them, and we'll call it um, giving them a platform to become a, a great mentor to others. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I have my podcast. I'm trying to connect with awesome business leaders. And uh, it, connecting is, is can be really difficult for some people, including me. Do you have any, I mean, and you've, just so everyone knows, um, you've interviewed hundreds of some of the top business leaders and entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Um, do you have any advice that anyone could use to connect at a, at a deeper level? I mean, I think a good starting point is, and it's something that I kind of mentioned in answering your question, but to go a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. really good starting point is it's important to be genuinely interested in the person that you're connecting with. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're trying to build a relationship with someone and you don't genuinely care about that other person, it makes things a lot harder because at the end of the day, I've never been good at faking things. I've never been good at faking happiness. I've never been good at faking anything. And I know that there are some people out there who are good at faking things, but I'm not one of them. And I don't encourage other people to try to be phony or to try to be fake. I try to encourage people to be real, to embrace authenticity. And I think that if you genuinely enjoy getting to know other people, if you have a genuine intellectual curiosity in others that will help you make the pro- that will that will help you connect that will make the process a lot more natural um, I think a good starting point is understanding as much as you can about the person that you might be trying to connect with try trying to figure out what are common areas of interest what are sources of commonality um, through which you could bond through which you could connect I also think it's important to think along the lines of value in life i'm a big believer that people are either givers or takers kind of have those two categories you know i know that there are lots of books and studies about givers and takers in this category and i i I think that it's black and white you're a giver or you're a taker most people are takers Mm -hmm. not because they're bad people but because taking is just easy and it's natural Mm -hmm. and it's something that is ingrained in so many of us to just take and take and take. And I think that that's the default mentality of most people. But when you take a step back and you think about it, who do you really want to surround yourself with in life? When you reach a certain age and you have the ability to decide who to have in your life, what new relationships to add into your life, whether it's a person you're dating whether it's a new friend, whether it's a new business relationship, any new person that you're going to add into your life is going to be a person that you believe you can gain some kind of value from. Mm -hmm. 
Because mm -hmm. if they're just going to be someone who's going to extract value from you, then why would you ever have them in your life? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to connect with a new person and that person is going to be a taker, you're going to have no interest in that person being in your life unless that person has something that you can gain from them. So when you understand that, and, and by the way, I implore anyone listening to really think about it and ask yourselves, who are the people in your lives right now who you're in touch with? Are they givers or are they takers? And for the ones who are takers, why are they in your life? Mm -hmm. Are they in your life because you chose them at a mature age or are they in your life because they were there by default? Maybe they're a relative. Maybe they're a friend from childhood. Maybe they're a coworker you're stuck with, but there's someone there that you didn't necessarily choose. But the people who you choose are people who are going to be givers. So when you understand that, you then have to really ask yourself, well, who do I want to be? Do I want to be a giver or do I want to be a taker? And the answer is pretty clear. So I think that's a pretty good framework to adopt. And I think if you do adopt that framework, it will make life a lot easier. You'll be a lot more successful in terms of building relationships. And I think you'll just be a lot more successful in general. Yeah, I, th I think that was uh, I think that was great advice. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about your your podcast a little bit because you have some really impressive guests that have come onto your podcast. Uh, I just wanted you to tell the our listeners what your podcast is about and maybe something you've you've learned from interviewing so many of these mentors. Sure. The show is called 30 Minute Mentors. It's all spelled out. You can find it at 30minutementors.com or you can find it on your favorite podcasting app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere. The concept of the show is every week I go one-on-one -on -one with one of the most successful people in the country. So that could be a founder or CEO of a household name company. So I've had the CEO of Gold's Gym. I've had the CEO of Deloitte Consulting. I've had the founder of Kayak. I've had the co-founder of FanDuel. Uh, I've had lots of other well-known founders and CEOs on there and have many more in the pipeline. It could be a military leader. I've had uh, Admiral Stavridis, retired four-star admiral. He was the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. I have uh, a, a number of military leaders who I've done interviews with coming up in the pipeline. Retired and current athletes, celebrities. Uh, Rob Lowe was a guest. Suzanne Summers was a guest. Mm -hmm. The concept is spending 30 minutes with highly successful people and probing deeply on how they got to the top and more importantly their best advice for listeners on how they can get to the top as well mm -hmm. so i really want anyone listening to the show to be able to walk away with tangible actionable advice that they could apply to their lives to better excel personally and better excel professionally and i try to deliver that in a very digestible 30-minute increment um, you know, Sean, one of the things that has been most impactful to me in my life has been mentorship. I'm the beneficiary of great mentorship. I have had great mentors in my life, but I'm also a big believer in a concept that I talk about called mini mentors. Mm. And what I mean when I say mini mentors is when you think of an, a mentor, you think of someone who you have a deep ongoing relationship with 
Maybe you go out to lunch once a month. Maybe you catch up over coffee or phone calls. There's someone who has a, a long and ongoing role in your life. A mini mentor is someone who maybe you talk to once a year. Maybe you talk to once every five years. Maybe you only talk to them once. Hmm. But in that one interaction, they can have a profound impact on you. And I think it's important for everyone to have as wide a collection of mini mentors as possible. As an entrepreneur, I can tell you, it's extremely important for me to have access to as many subject matter experts as possible. If I need to know anything about a given topic, I don't learn well by picking up a 500-page book and reading it. Mm -hmm. I learn much better by phoning a friend. And if I can call up an expert and ask them their advice and ask them for their thoughts on a given topic, that's something that's invaluable to me. And I've been the beneficiary of many mentors in my life. And I've tried to bring that concept to life through 30-minute mentors by creating the best network of mentors possible and making that network accessible to listeners. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I checked it out myself and, and it's, it's, you do a great job getting a lot of valuable information in 30 minutes, which I can tell you is, is definitely a challenge. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. It means a lot. I'm going to transition to rapid fire and we can wrap things up. Uh, one of the first questions is, who's your greatest mentor and why? When I was a kid, my dream was to run a major league baseball team. Mm -hmm. I love baseball. Anyone who knows me knows that. Mm -hmm. Huge Angels fan. Mm -hmm. And um, I developed a friendship with um, a, a guy who is one of the top sports agents in baseball. And he became a truly deeply impactful mentor to me, um, still is a great mentor to me and uh, someone whose mentorship has and continues to mean a lot to me professionally and more importantly, personally. Yeah, that's, uh, especially getting a, a mentor like that early on, I think can be really, really beneficial. Um, I just I just realized the time, so I'm going to actually condense the rapid fire to my two favorite questions. First of those two are, what has been the best investment of your time? That's a, that's a really good one. The best investment of my time. Yeah, because, uh, you know, young people don't always have a lot of money, but they have, they have time and they have efforts. College was a tremendous investment of time for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I loved college. Four years seems like a really long time to a lot of people, mm -hmm. but college was a great investment of time for me. I, I think it's a lot easier to think of bad investments of time than it is to think of the great investments of time. But my, my four years at USC was, at least as a starting point, given that this is a rapid fire, mm -hmm. that was as good an investment of time as any in my life. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um, and the last question, my favorite question, what legacy do you want to leave on the world? I don't really think too much about that one because I'm trying to stick around as long as I can. Sure and trying to maximize each and every day. But what I really try to do with my work, what I really try to do with my writing, my speaking, my podcast is try to leave as positive an impact as I can in as many lives as I can. It's aspirational. I know I fall short in many ways, but my definition of success is indexed to not 
how much money I've made in my life, not how much money I've made in a quarter or in a year. It's not indexed to how many different companies I have or you know how many pounds I can bench. Unfortunately, um, I don't have access to weights right now. Yeah. So I, I can't bench press anything today. But it really is about the difference that I can make in the lives of others. And if I can do that, I feel like I'll have left. I don't know if, if legacy is the right word, but hopefully I'll have done a good job. Well, uh, I think by being on this podcast and, you know, you're with your podcast and all the writing you do, I, I think you are uh, definitely on track to, to be improving quite a few lives. And so I want to thank you for being on this podcast. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizTalks. This is a new podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review because it will help us create more of what you love. And it will help other ambitious career-minded listeners find this podcast. Experience Speaks is edited by John Chang. I'm your host, Sean Wolf. See you next week. Here we get it.